Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out! It's only films to be buried with. Hello, my name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a swimmer. And I love films. I love all films. I love long films, I love short films, I love horror films, I love art films, I love big butt films, and I cannot lie. If you love films, this might be the podcast for you. I tend to agree with Martin Luther King when he said, people should not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the contents of their DVD cabinets. I do feel that film plays an important part in all our lives. Most of the memories you might have that mean something to you are probably connected in some way to a film you might have seen during that time. I wanted to capture that by inviting a dead person over to my house to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. I've got a lot of great guests coming up, including Catherine Ryan, Ashling B, Nish Kumar, Stephen Cree and loads more. But for my first episode, I wanted it to be a special one. But let's face it, they're all special. But it doesn't matter. This guy's special too. My very first guest is the brilliant James Acaster. If you don't know any of James's work, What is wrong with you? Get on Netflix now and look up his four stand-up specials. He has four of them and they're all incredible and you should try and watch them all in one go. There's a lot more to say about his career, although I think what I've discovered is it's quite fun to say people's CVs into their own eyes while they're looking at you because it sort of freaks you both out, which is what I've done with all of my guests. So listen out for that in the episode. A couple of things. We did record this in my kitchen, so it's a tiny bit echoey. But I've learned from that. It doesn't happen in the rest of the episodes. The other episodes sound is much better, so please bear with it. A couple of brief warnings. There's probably some swearing from time to time, because I do think it's cool and clever. And I do think we might touch lightly on some darker topics. So if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, you can just skip those bits. Also, in terms of spoilers, if we mention a film you haven't seen, we might spoil that film. So you might want to skip ahead But don't skip ahead too much, otherwise this whole podcast is going to be like 30 seconds for you. That's it for now. Uh, I very much hope you enjoy the first episode of Films to be Buried with. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. 
you'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome to Films to be Buried with. I am Brett Goldstein, and I am here with a very wonderful uh, guest. His name is James Acaster. If you don't know him, you can watch four hours, four hours of him being a comedian on Netflix, on channel Netflix. Yeah. Four hours. Arrogant, in a way. Yeah, a bit arrogant. But I've watched all four. I mean, he's longer than Braveheart. Yeah. I mean, basically, if you've not seen him yet, he's the sort of stand-up that's so good, he makes stand-ups want to stop doing stand-up. So if you're not a stand-up, watch it, and you'll have a wonderful time. If you are a stand-up, just forget it. Anyway. That's not true. Here he is, the lovely James Acaster. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. What a lovely intro. Thanks for coming around my house. Yeah, I I haven't been here very often, even though... I'd count you as one of my friends. Okay. I'd say I've been here. Okay, that's first Second time? Could be, second time. Yeah, you're a secretive man. Don't invite a lot of people around. No, you don't. Doors stay locked. Yes. In this house. Thank you. Very interesting. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Now, you understand how it works. Yeah. You have died. Yes. I'm sorry. How did mm. you die, James? Probably fell in a hole. In the street? Street hole? Oh, I don't know, maybe uh, in the beach, beach hole. Oh, wow. Because, what, like quicksand or a big hole? That's actually, quicksand's there. probably more likely. Yeah. I've always thought it would probably be quicksand or falling off a building or something. Those are the things that have always felt the most likely. Quicksand seems legit for you. Yeah, it would be the kind of thing I'd write a routine about. Yeah, so as it, you're it, going it, down, as you're singing around. This would, yeah. this would play so well. At it does. You always play when you're singing in quicksand. And why do they call it quick? It's so slow. Yeah. It's outrageous. <laughs> Definitely sand, though. It gets everywhere. It's coming in my lungs. Ah. <laughs> okay. Uh, good routine. Good yeah, routine. I'll, I'll do that. Shame you can't do it because you've died. How do you feel about death? Scared of it? Excited? Look forward to it? What? No, I don't look forward to it. But I don't think I'm too scared of it anymore. I used to be really scared of it. Yeah. And then uh, thought about it a lot and feel like now, instead of always focusing in on, because it was focused on death and it's like, oh, we won't, we won't have it, you know, we got everything taken away from us. Yeah. And you don't really stop to think, why well, have I even got it in the first place? And it's just yeah. quite amazing to even have it. It's like, I don't think I'm owed any of this. It's crazy to have it and to be here now. So in many ways, your spiritual leader is Mike Skinner of the Streets. Yeah. He said everything is just borrowed. Everything's just borrowed. That album has a lot of uh, cool. that, that, that kind of philosophy on it. Yeah. It's got a song on there called Edge of a Cliff, okay. which uh, is all about, yeah, like any time you feel sad, just to, just to remember how unlikely it is that you're even here and all the... All the people that came before you. All the people that came before you, so you exist. Yeah, it's real, really nice, really good sentiment. So yeah. I think that kind of stuff just makes you feel better, doesn't it? If you're ever scared of death and you're like, oh no, 
So when you're in that quicksand, slowly, slowly, slowly dying, you'll be at least remember the streets. Yeah, I was singing that song. Yeah, yeah, we're part of the routine. We're singing street songs. Well, that's lovely. Uh, do you believe in uh, heaven, or what do you think happens? I don't think I do. I was raised Christian, right, and um, I believed in that kind of stuff for a while, and then I probably believed in a heaven and a hell for a while. It wasn't really, even though that, that idea wasn't really pushed on me by my parents, but mm-hmm. like, I believe in those things, and I stopped believing in hell, and right. I just believed, oh, there's probably a nice place you go when you d- die, and then I guess I kind of stopped believing in that, but like, I'm agnostic, so if I died, and there was an afterlife... You wouldn't be annoyed? I wouldn't go, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'd go, yeah, this was always, always a possibility, I guess. Yeah. But I would imagine that if there is an afterlife, big if, sure. then... um. It's not going to be like anything we human beings have been discussing. No one would have got it right. No. You think it would be more sort of beyond comprehension? Yeah, absolutely. We're not going to be able to... It would be more like Solaris. Yeah, sure. A film like that. Yeah, a film like Solaris. My brain is can't comprehend this. Yeah, and what is it? More of a feeling, maybe. Maybe just a oneness. Yeah. Rather than an actual walking... I mean, obviously, we'd all like it to be be like this, because it's nice and familiar, isn't it? Walking around, but it's everything is is great, yeah. and you don't. There's no calories. Well, there's you don't a put line, any weight on. There's a line in Solaris yeah. in the book and the film, which is these astronauts talking, and they say, "We think we're so big and brave and strong because we fly through space looking for answers, but all we're really looking for are mirrors." They lost all their mirrors <laughs> on the flight. Because <laughs> yeah, in the future there are only mirrors. Yeah, they weren't so allowed they to take the entire space program just to find some mirrors. Some mirrors. Everyone's going, "You've got some terrible stuff in your face. You really need to yeah. check." <laughs> what I look like anymore? Yeah, yeah. So, in uh, the, the the premise of this show is that we talk about ten films that mean something from your life. Mm. And so, my first question is: What is the first film that you remember seeing when you were alive? So there are definitely films I saw before this one, but this is the first one I remember. Okay. Because it's my first cinema trip. Oh, wow. So I remember being at the cinema, a bit exciting. How old were you? Between three and five, I guess. Round about there. And who were you with? My dad. Just you and your dad? Yeah. Uh, I went to see The Rescuers Down Under. The Rescuers Down Under? Yeah. It was the first film I saw. Very underrated sequel. I loved it. It's The Godfather Part 2 of Rescuers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. And it is a good thing. I mean, you know, I don't actually remember too much of it now. Like, I, I remember going to see it. I remember being in the cinema, I can remember, like, what seat I was in. What was the cinema? Like, the view. Do you remember that? View? No, no, the, okay. the view from the seat. No, I don't know what the cinema was called. It was in Banbury. But then maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was in Kettering. We were in Kettering, and then we moved to Banbury for a year, and then we moved back to Kettering. Okay. But um, I think it was in the Banbury year, but maybe it wasn't. What, uh, why the Banbury year, may I ask? Uh, comes back to Christianity again. So my parents, the church they were in. Uh, Jesus was in Banbury. Yeah, they went, he's around there somewhere. <laughs> Banbury Cross, that's a clue. <laughs> yeah. um, no, they, they were starting up another church in Banbury. So they wanted some of the people in the original church to go over there for the transition. What, like weaning people into? Just, yeah, the get there, make sure everything kind of... Not, not, not getting people to go to the church, but just like... Like a franchise, like... Yeah, yeah, train, train that lot. That's yeah, great. actually, I don't know if it was training that lot, but it was like, just be friendly. I don't know, just go over, go go, go to the ch- go to that church for a bit. But it was a very, like, hippie kind of church, so I don't... It's not, it's not like they were there enforcing any rules or anything. I guess it was just there for... If you need, here, here if you need us! And then no one did, so we went back to Kettering. <laughs> um, but yeah, they could probably 
tell you more information than I could. As far as I was aware, we just lived in Banbury. Right, well, let's get you... I would like to have your dad on, actually, and follow him avidly on Twitter. You do, yeah, yeah. I recommend you all follow David A. Pester. <laughs> yeah. One of the most outspoken voices. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's what he wants on Twitter. So, yeah, he would uh, uh, he'd be great on this. He, he likes films. Yeah. So, you went to see The Rest of Down Under, and you remember the experience very much. Yeah, I remember just being in the cinema and how special it felt and exciting. For years after, I didn't go to cinema loads because it was a treat. Mm. So, like, I remember going to see Bowfinger. I remember oh, going to see Cool Runnings, The Lion King. Wow. And, like, one day my mum, it was really, like, it was a really special cinema trip when one day my mum just went, do you want to go to see Stargate? And that didn't wow. happen. Usually, it was like all of us went mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I mean, that's because even though the first time it was me on my own, but because my brothers and sisters were too young. But, like, Normally, we all went as a family, and we knew a few days in advance we'd go to the cinema in the weekend, and it was exciting. I was Stargate, my mum just being like, do you want to go and see, see like, like, right now? Just want to go, just me and you, she was going to see it. And oh, I like, yes. couldn't believe it was happening, that we were going to go, just, just going to go to the cinema. That's how much you like Kurt Russell and James Bader. Yeah, I was like, what? And, uh, I've got to go down. It's so good. And also, that was during a phase where I went through, where every time I saw a film, I would tell people the whole plot when I got home. <laughs> I'd have to tell them from the start, and I wouldn't miss anything out. I remember my mum having to tell me to stop halfway through Independence Day. Like, we got home and started trying to tell her and her friend, to the friend over, and I was just telling them the whole film. And when I got to the bit where all the people on top of the building welcoming yeah, the aliens, yeah. and the spaceship comes over, and it opens up, I said, hey, it opens up. And then one of the ladies says, it's so pretty. Yeah. And then the, uh, my mum's like, James, how much of this film is? Because, like... How far are we into you can't it? 25 us, minutes. You can't tell us the whole film. Like, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, fine. Can it's you, in, film, in under a minute, uh, tell me the entire plot of The Rescue is Down Under? Uh, some mice go to rescue someone in Australia. Yeah. And they ride on the back of an albatross, I think. And I is. that is all I can remember. That's the plot. Yeah. Well done. But, like, I then went back and watched The Rescuers. You know, I can't remember what happened there either. But, like, I liked that. I remember that one, The Rescuers, Five Goes West, but also An American Tale, Tale, and uh, The Land Before Time films, mm. being all around that point, I was watching that kind of film a lot. And they were all quite sad, sad cartoons about being lost. Yeah, American Tale is unbelievably tragic. Yeah. Bloody hell. That's as sad as fucking Dumbo's mum swinging Dumbo. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't even talk about it. Yeah. It was, it was all, so it's very kind of, I think also quite, some of Bambi or Dumbo is sad, but like still kind of happy kids films. I definitely like American Tale and Land Before Time. Just very sad. Like they're so, it's just kids being lost yeah. and walking around and, uh, it's what I thought most cartoons were like at, at one point because that's mainly what I was watching. Did you relate to that? Were you like, I'm like a little lost dinosaur? I didn't feel like a little lost dinosaur. I felt quite like, I definitely felt scared of being a lost dinosaur. I've always been more scared of stuff that's never happened to me. Right. So I definitely scared watching those films a lot. Oh, that might, I hope that never happens to me. I hope I never am a lost dinosaur. You know, I hope I'm never like, you know, so, but, but what I liked about it. I hope so, I'm never a mouse in America in the wrong city. Yeah, yeah. Which could happen. Could happen. That's, that's still open. But, like, what I liked about Land Before Time, and I think American Tale, though, I can't remember, but Land Before Time was great because they kept on meeting more dinosaurs who were lost. Yeah. So the gang got bigger. And I liked that. I liked all the different characters and their different things and how they were all together in this group and lost together. I quite liked the idea of that. Mm. So, in a way, I was scared of it, but there's another part of me that was like, I would like to be in this lost kind of gang. I think it's a metaphor for the comedy community. 
Yeah, little lost gang. Yeah. Lost dinosaurs that found each other. Yeah. Making their way towards quicksand. <laughs> I think that's perfectly fair. Yeah. Bunch of oddballs have all got lost, just mm. drifted around, and then you all get drawn to this thing. Somewhere <laughs> there, and then someone else joins in, you go, oh, you This tuba starts singing. <laughs> but, like, yeah, the open mic circuit, especially. When you're in the open mic circuit, That's it's a rogues gallery of. Lots of dinosaurs. You're all just. No matter what, there's no cool people mm-hmm. on the open mic circuit. Even the ones who think they're cool. You know, for whatever reason, you started taking yourself to pubs <laughs> most nights of the week, going to a little room where, like, about five strangers are sitting down to watch you mm. and getting up in front of them and doing something you're no good at yet. Yeah. And kind of just taking a hit, t- taking, yeah. taking a hit each night, not knowing if it's going to be good or not, being really nervous, going up there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. When it doesn't, it feels brutal. And then, like, just going high. You know, you don't do it unless... You know, I, I, I was 23. I had tried to be in bands. They'd all, they'd all failed. I didn't have any qualifications. I didn't know what to do. And I just started doing this. Mm. And definitely, even though it was like a fun adventure, I was really like, I don't know what I'm doing. No. And like, you know, and I'm, you know, meet people like, you know, some of my early friends in comedy, like Nick Helm, Josh Whittacombe, you know, Nick had been writing plays and stuff and got frustrated trying to get other people, you know, direct a bit and trying to get other people to care about the plays. <laughs> Started doing comedy on his own. Josh had been trying to write and do comedy writing and mm. no one wanted any of his stuff and he started doing comedy, uh, doing stand up and like, you know, it was all a bunch of that kind of. I'd been people. acting and writing plays, and in fact, I was thinking I took a play to Edinburgh that, like, year before I did stand up, I took mm. a play, and it was like real my soul in a play, real heart and soul in a play about relationships. Yeah. And the first review we got uh, was a one-star review that said the plot of the play, <laughs> and then said, "Who cares?" <laughs> <laughs> <Good review. laughs> I'm gonna put that on all my posters. Yeah. What is the film that scared you the most in your whole life? Doesn't have to be when you were a kid. No, no, no. Easy. Well, it wasn't when I was a kid. Like, when I was a kid, I didn't really watch scary films. When I was 14, 15, yeah. I watched Scream 2. Great film. And I didn't sleep for two weeks. <laughs> and that is not an exaggeration. That's what the two stands for. Yeah, yeah. I literally could not sleep because I was terrified. And the reason why I was so terrified... Was, well, for one, I've never seen a film that was that violent before. Yeah. But also, I've seen, like, murder mysteries and stuff like that on TV and uh, scary films that make you jump a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there was always a really clear motive at the end. You'd always find out who the killer was, who the murderer was, and you'd go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why they did it. So like that. Scream 2 is just like, they're just psychopaths and they kill everyone. It's Timothy Oliphant, isn't it? From Deadwood, he's the killer in Scream 2. Spoiler, sorry. Yeah, so I don't really know his name. Right. <laughs> but, like, there's two killers in the end of Scream yeah. 2. One of them has kind of a motive that you kind of understand. And one of them is just a psycho who wants to kill people. And that's all it is. And so, when I realised, oh, <laughs> it's not always a motive. It's not like you have to have wronged someone or something like that. It could just be someone who just wants to kill people. And that hadn't entered my head until that Scream point. And, and then I was like, anyone... For no reason, could just kill me. And every time I went to go to sleep, I'll be like, they could... Also, yeah, worth pointing out, I watched it at my friend Matthew's house. He who, just killed you. Well, I'm still friends with him now, but he is the kind of guy who could do that. <laughs> but, like, he loved Scream. Yeah. The whole franchise, he absolutely loved it. His bedroom was a shrine to it, and I was, stay- I was staying over that night. Right. So, we watched Scream 2. Mm. I was really scared. 
And then I was sleeping in a bed that literally above it had the costume that the killer wears hanging from the ceiling. So he he had it hanging from the ceiling so it looked like they were looming, the killer was looming over you. Yeah. He had that above his bed. Above his own bed. So I I was sleeping in that bed that night. So, like, I literally had to sleep underneath the killer from the film I'd just seen. And also, in screen, it is not unlikely for that to be one of the scenes where, like, Oh, it's just a little costume from about the killer we've got hanging from the ceiling, and then that is the killer, actually, really. <laughs> and then they stab you in the night. Um, yeah. So, like, as that was the first night I saw it, it was hanging over me. And then every night I tried to go... Because it was just all these horrible thoughts of, like, all the different murders that happened in the film, and, like, <laughs> just all, all the people that this... The beginning is one of the great... I think it's one of the great openings to a film. Screen 2 is a genuinely... The cinema. ...horrifying... Yeah. Brilliant, scary sequence. Yeah. But also with that as well, it's like, oh, like, no one will help you. Yeah. And they all think it's part of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there was that. So, and that's like, I was just running over all the... Because also you're going, okay, so why did those two kill everyone? <laughs> They're just, like, trying to go over it and trying to work it out. And going, oh, but she was acting so normal for the whole film. Mm. That lady was acting just really normal. And she was murdering these kids. <laughs> Yeah. And like, and it was, I just couldn't get, I thought I was, I literally was not sleeping. And I don't know how I eventually got out of it. I was managed to, you know, I probably watched a really happy film and snapped myself out of it. But like, I don't, I couldn't tell any of my friends. Have you seen Scream 1? Have you never, I have, gone, have now. never revisited But I only watched it recently. Right. I think I, I've watched all of them. Okay. And I like, I've watched the Scream TV series on Netflix, which most people would tell you is a part of shit. And. What would you say? I think it is, but deliberately. <laughs> but deliberately. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, because the, seen it. the films are making fun of horror films, yeah. which I didn't realise at the time when I was watching it. I thought it was just a genuine horror film. Yeah. But like the films are kind of making fun of horror films and stuff like that, and they deliberately, deliberately have bits that are badly acted and things like that. And that's what the TV series have bits that are deliberately hammy and like over the top, and bits that are a bit parody, stuff like that. But like it stays really true to the films. Anyone who gets annoyed with the TV series, you know, well, if, you, if you like the films... Yeah, it's what this TV series. It's doing exactly what the TV, what the film did. It's just doing it to the nth degree because it's also making fun of the film. Right. So it's just doing, it's doing that on top of it. But I, I quite enjoy. It's just like something easy to watch. So you say easy. I mean, when you were fourteen, you couldn't sleep for two. Yeah, weeks. I couldn't sleep for two weeks. Honestly. So now is it like a little? Now it's pretty normal. Like, I can watch that kind of stuff now. I can watch a series. I'm a brave boy now. Yeah. For a while, it was just like films like that. The other film that scared me a lot was Hannibal right. because that was the first film I've seen where um, someone ate a brain. Yes, someone ate a brain, but also, like, a lot of the stuff in Hannibal that's really awful, you don't see it happen. So there's the stuff that you had to imagine, like... Because with that scene, for example, all the stuff in between, you go, well, hold on, so he drugs him, and then what does he do? He's just got him sitting there, he's just talking to him. Yeah. He's cut his fucking head open, and he's, like, feeding his own brain. That, that bit in particular was just, like, I couldn't stop thinking about it, how yeah. horrible it was. So I think these are all, like, pre the whole accepted death thing. Okay. Because it's suddenly being reduced to that. So it's like, if that was me, and that happened to me, if someone did that to me, yeah. is that all I am? I'm just a piece of meat that can be manipulated, and then suddenly, if I'm drugged up enough for that, I'm that stupid that I'll just eat my own brain, yeah. and I'll say shitty things to the people at the dinner table, and I won't realise. When he throws the tea towel on his head, yeah. that's the worst for me, because he treats him like he's nothing. Yeah. At that point, he's just there with his brain exposed, drooling, but still alive. Yeah. And Hannibal's wheeled him into the kitchen, 
and he just wipes his hands on the tea towel and just throws it on his head like it's a, it's a chair. It's just a stand. Yeah. And it just covers his face and it's on his brain. And you're like, that's all I am. Just a brain and a bit of meat. I'm nothing. It was that. And that, that scared me. I once worked with a uh, an old man whose job in the... I don't remember what time. He worked for a studio in mm. Hollywood and his job was to come up... They made loads and loads of B-movie horror films. Yeah. And his, literally his job was to come up with deaths, ways of, like, cool deaths, scary yeah. deaths. And he said his favourite one that he came up with was they put a guy to sleep, they cut open the top of his skull so his brain's exposed, they wheel him in front of a mirror and then they wake him up and when he wakes up, he sees himself and he goes, ah, and puts his hands to his head in yeah. shock and crushes his own brain. <laughs> puts his fingers through his brain. That was his best Having step. to think of that, having that, that's your job. Yeah. Think of that stuff. I just get worried about myself. He was a lovely man, family man. What is the film that made you cry the most? Pride. I love Pride. Yeah. Love that film. Love it. One of my favourite films of recent years. Love it. And... I and saw it that more than say Saving Mr. Banks. Well, I didn't watch Saving Mr. Banks, <laughs> but like um, I cry at stuff that makes me feel, I guess, happy rather than sad. Although I don't know. For those happens. of you who don't know, you might not know. Pride is a wonderful film about yeah. the miners in Wales yeah. joining forces with the gay community. Yeah. So the yeah, the gay community basically decide to support the miners because uh, the miners because basically that. There's a scene at the beginning of the film where they're, you know, they're saying, we haven't been hassled for ages. Yeah. And we normally get loads of shit from the police all the time. And why is that not happening now? And it's because they're hassling somebody else. They're hassling the miners now. And so we can either just go, great. Yeah. Or we can get behind them and support them, even though they didn't support us and no one supported us. And that alone, mm. for a little Christian boy, for mm. <laughs> we've been behaving that you just go, oh, it's so nice. And so, and so, so first I watched it in the cinema, and I don't do crying in the cinema, so I kind of, like, was fine. But I loved it, and so I bought the DVD. Right. Which I don't really do these days, but I bought the DVD, and I watched it on my own one night. Mm. And I honestly think I cried for the whole film. Mm. And at the end, the back of my head, the head muscles hurt, because I've been crying, so it'd been, it'd been like my whole... It was it, trying to produce more tears. It, it all been wrinkled and, and just right. tensed for the whole film, and it genuinely... Hurt, and I was trying not to cry because it was like that was hurting so much. And it was there's so many scenes in it. There's scenes that most films would say just to the end, and it's every scene in Pride. So yeah. every scene in it is potentially the end of a film where they try and make you cry, <laughs> and just all the way through. My all-time favourite show that I saw at the uh, on stage yeah. is Our House, the musical. <laughs> Which I went to see. My dad got us tickets for Boxing Day. Yes. And I thought, what the fuck is this shit? Fucking mad, this music is going to be shit. Yeah. And I cried all the way throughout. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's such an right. amazing story. It's so beautifully done. And it's directed by Matthew Walkers. And when I saw Pride, mm. I was like, this is the most joyful, beautiful film I've ever seen. And then I saw it at the end, directed by Matthew Walkers. I thought, of course it is. Right. And made our house. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, didn't I? I knew that about that musical. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the cast is amazing, the story is really... Weirdly, the only bit that doesn't make me cry is the bit where they really try and make you cry. <laughs> so there's, there's this one bit where everyone starts singing. Yes. They're in this village hall, and I can't remember what's just happened, but something bad has just happened. Like, you know, they've basically been told they're not going to get what they want, or whatever it is, and a lady gets up and starts singing, 
and then everyone is oh, like yeah, singing yeah. together. And that's the only bit that doesn't make me cry, even though I'm sure that most people cry at that bit. But for some yeah. reason, I'm like, nah, you're trying to make me cry. Forget <laughs> about it. I saw this coming. But whereas everything else is just like, you're watching, yeah, like, you know, people like coming together and supporting each other people and, and people like uh, each, coming over, you know, people coming out, people realising they've got AIDS and like there's so much like Dominic West does an amazing stuff. dance in it and I, I, West, I remember thinking yeah. as an actor if I in my if I got the part and I was reading the script and it says oh by the way you have to do a massive yep. dance in front of a crowd of people I'd be like oh shit and he really goes for it he really, <laughs> he really nice goes for it he does and like is that Billy Brown song at the end the only Power thing, in the Union no I don't think this is a spoiler what I found about Pride is it's such for a film that's you know it's a it can, could be a heavy subject it's so joyful and it's so full of love yeah. and hope and wonder. But then the film ends and then it shows up like titles of where the people are now, kind of yeah. titles. And all the titles are so depressing. <laughs> They're the saddest <laughs> fucking titles. Some like, of them are. Oh. Okay. Mm, I don't think One so. of them's very sad. But like it's. You're like, you ended that film right yeah. before it all got into Yeah, sad yeah, yeah. Story. They do deal with that. But also, there's plenty of sad stuff in the film. But like the fact that they make the main message about supporting each other and uh, supporting your neighbours and, like, not... It's the, the whole kind of thing about, you know, not leaving people high and dry just because they're not fighting the same cause as you or whatever it is. Like, you know, it's because they've got a different battle and it's not your battle. Oh, and actually yeah. just, like, still going, no, we get, we've got the same oppressors or whatever. So, like, yeah, it, was, it was great. And then uh, Paddy Considine's amazing in it. Mother yeah. Staunton's amazing. Bill Nye. Like, it's... Yeah. Bill Nye making time. sandwiches. Come on. Well, that scene, yeah. When, when he's making the that's one of the many scenes that makes you cry. When he, that is so well done. Mm. Yeah, there's two... It's a scene after scene that just destroys me, and I, I was an absolute wreck by the time I saw that film second time. Do you like... I don't mean this sort of weirdly. Do you like crying? Were you like, oh, this is a I good do now. thing? I, I didn't cry for years. So my, I, I cried when I was... I think 17, my cat died and I cried. Mm-hmm. And I didn't cry again. Until Pride. <laughs> well, not far off. Okay. Like, I, maybe until I was 30. Wow. Like, I just didn't cry. Couldn't cry. Wasn't trying to necessarily, but like, I was like, I just don't. I guess that's the thing, I just don't cry. Yeah. And then that was it. And then. I felt that way until I saw Saving Mr. Banks. Right. <laughs> and then that was it. <laughs> like, oh, I'm doing 20 years. Yeah. Ago. You seem like a man of principle. And so, the next question I have for you is, what is the film that you love unashamedly, yeah. but that is bad, that is certainly critically reviled? People say, this film is bad, but you're yeah. like, fuck you, this film's amazing. Final Destination 5. Lovely choice. Yeah. Is that the roller coaster one? Uh, no, it's not the roller coaster one. Car one? It's the final one. It's the final, final, oh, final destination. Final, final destination. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, was, it was 3D at FFD. the cinema. FFD, yeah. 3D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a film. Talk to me. I so, I, I love all the Final Destination films. Yeah, great film. And what I love about them is that it's essentially the same comedy sketch over and over again. And you, you know what the punchline's going to be every time. So, you just go, here's a bunch of sketches. Yeah. And at the end, they're going to die. <laughs> so, at the end, the main, ca- the main character in the sketch yeah. is going to die. And you know that. And the laughs are all the different ways that they could possibly die and then at the end we kill, kill them in a way that you don't suspect and it's just funny. So it's like the fast show, it's just catchphrase comedy. You know yeah. what the punchline is, it's just how are they going to get to it? Somehow trying to reinvent it 
every single time. And I think it's brilliant. And by the time they get to Final Destination 5, they fully know that's all this is. Right. So they don't really bother with the plot. What's the big know. the big thing, the premonition death at the beginning in fact? Yeah. Is it the driving with the logs on the motorway? No, so... Or is it the bad... Although that, that's, that's like a... That's another one. That's like quite an early one. Okay. It is... I'm pretty sure it's... Because now I'm worried that I'm getting them mixed up. I'm pretty sure I'm not. It's a bridge collapses and they're all on this bus. Okay. And uh, they somehow survive it. So yeah, it's quite small for them. That's quite a small... It's pretty huge. Okay. It's a big bridge. The bridge collapsing. It's a, it is a big bridge. It's, a, yeah. it's like a... You know. And it's got lots of cars on the bridge. And lots of cars. Okay. Everyone's dying. Okay. It's really fucked. Okay. <laughs> and like, someone gets like boiling tar poured on them. Why, uh, I kind of want you to spoil this, so don't listen if you don't yeah. want to spoil, but if it's the final, final, final destination, yeah. do they cure death? How do they stop it? How is it the final one? They do not cure death. So and here's the thing, and I know what you're going to say when I tell you this, and I did not do this deliberately, but it is not the final one. It reveals it happened before the first one. It was the first. And it was the first, and it triggers the whole thing. That's what's quite... That's cool. What's quite great about it is that even the people who hate it and say it's rubbish go, credit where it's due. It's a really good twist, because you don't realise until the end, oh, they've not been using modern technology... This was set before that, but, but you don't realise it for the whole film. You just like you don't realise any of that, and then you realise oh, this was before the first one. That's what they did. I, I, my favourite sort of not loved horror yeah. series is Paranormal yeah. Activity. Yeah, and Paranormal cool. Activity, the marked ones, yeah. where they really went off piste. Right. The end is he sort of has accidentally become a ghost kind of thing, like he's gone through a dimension where he yeah. can't be seen. And he walks through a door into the first paranormal activity. Right. And yeah. the big scary noises in the house are him just walking around oh. trying to be heard. Nice. It's a great. It's, it's great. great. It's great. It is great. Give me the shivers. It's really cool. <laughs> but like, also, I saw it on the... So my first ever solo show at Edinburgh Festival, mm-hmm. which any comic who's done Edinburgh will tell you that the debut show is you're not really prepared for how it's going to make you feel. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel more anxious than you thought you would more stressed, your ego takes a real beating, you have a lot of doubt, and it's a quite a stressful month. And at the end of the month, I booked a train back a little bit too late, so maybe, like, I had a whole day Awful. in Edinburgh and nothing Awful. to do, and everyone else had gone home, yeah. apart from me, Tom Rosenthal, and I think it was Lee and Paul from Late Night Gimp Fight. Okay. But I'm not sure if any of the others, maybe Matt was there as well. But we all decided we were going to go and see Final Destination 5 at the cinema. Let's just go and see that. We've got nothing to do. And we went there. And watching, after a month of being at a festival where we're all obsessed over making these perfect shows that that will impress the critics and impress the awards panel and all this kind of stuff. And then you go and see a film that's literally gone, we don't care. We don't care about... What any of you say about this... We know this is fun. We're just going to have a load of fun with this film. And we're now putting it in 3D so that you can really have... Also, a 3D film where I was glad it was in 3D. Where it's not I'm just sitting there going, oh, yeah, they've added a lot of depth to it. So it actually seems seem further away. Oh, yeah. Who cares about that? Stick it in your face. I want it in my face. face. (laughs) All all, all, all the 3D films is in my face. I want to see, you know, the bridge fall apart and everything is, you know, 
exploding out at me. my face. Yeah. It was, Not away from my face. Yeah. Well, one of them, literally... I'm already sat at the back. All these metal rods slide off of a lorry and just go yeah. through someone, and they all come right at you. Oh, I'd love that film. It's great. So, like, it was, it was just such a good film to watch and go, oh, yeah, you know what? When I'm in the audience, I just want to enjoy myself and have fun. And, uh, That's and why your, your second enemy said had a lot of you just pointing into the audience's face. I was pointing in their face and, and killing them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that was my favourite show you did. Okay, the next thing I want to know then is what is the film that has the most meaning to you? Not because you love the film per se, but because of the circumstances in which you saw it. For example, yes. first date with someone where you mm. fell in love with them or whatever. Yeah. What's the film, the experience of watching that film that is your... So... This is one of my favourite films as well. So it's Boy, which is a film by Taika... Uh, oh, OK. ...who people will know from... He did Four Ragnarok, but he also did... Um, what We Do In The Shadows. What We Do In The Shadows, um, and... The wonderful... The Wilder People, but like... Hunt For The Wilder Hunt For The Wilder People, which is great. Um, and Eagle vs. Sharks, his first film. Boy was his second one, but based on like a short film we'd done before Eagle vs. Sharks. I Boy is one of my favourite films ever. And I watched it. It was the first time I went to New Zealand. And I am in love with that country. And some of that is probably because my ex-girlfriend is from there. And so, like, I spent a lot of time there. But but what's nice is that I know that, you know, my relationship with that country and my relationship with her are two different things. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I do know that. And I do feel like, for a while I thought, my ex oh, New Zealand. I thought it's just connected to get like, like it's just because of her that I like it so much. Right. And then like I went there after uh, the breakup, and I was like, oh no, I just love, which is lovely as well to go That's back, news, go back and go. I love everything about this country. It's so great, and I was really lucky to go out with her and have it that she because she was really proud of where she came from, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to spend a lot more time like you know immersed in that when I was over there with her and meeting her family and and, and, and like. There's so much in that film. I just, I actually, I just, yeah, I really love it. Because the first time I saw it was when, it's the first time I went to New Zealand, I just had a, this is a different breakup. It sounds like I'm always getting, I'm always having breakups, but I just had a breakup and I went to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. So I went to New Zealand like a week after having a breakup. Right. I'd never been before. I was going for the, the comedy festival and it was just like exactly what I needed. I was very lucky. So, you know, there's loads of times when you're really lucky to have this job. Mm-hmm. And, that was one of the times of like how fortunate that this is my job and that I get to just go on a plane. Yeah, and I went there and it, I just had this amazing time discovering this new place that felt really good. And then someone organised, someone called Heidi, uh, Heidi Olofton, she sorted out a, a boy, she, she knew most of us hadn't seen Boy. Mm-hmm. She was like, we're all going to watch it this afternoon at the Classic, which is the venue. And she'd like oh, yeah. sorted out a, like a big TV, got out and bought Boy. And she was like, we're going to watch it at this time and come along if you want to watch it. And so I went along, and it was unlike any film I'd seen before, really. It mm. was a really beautiful film that makes you care about all of the characters, but never really puts them in too much danger, and yet you still feel worried for them for the whole thing. It doesn't really, like... There's no huge peril, but it's just quite sad anyway. The circumstances are quite sad. Mm. And so you're just with them every step of the way, and it's a very uh, it's a very funny film in parts as well, but, like, it's really one of a kind. And that was, like, the first time I saw it, it made me feel really... Um, I'd already kind of like growing to love New Zealand anyway, and that really locked it in. Of like, I love this because it's such a New Zealand film, but not in a way that there are some films that have been it's made not prohibitive. 
But the one that with Jake the Mussin that everyone talks about, which is like the first, what, what is it called? It's a horrible film about domestic violence. Oh, yeah, Once Were Warriors. Yes. Yes. And people associate those kind of gritty yeah, films yeah. with New Zealand a lot of the time. Um, it has made films that are quite gritty and horrible and, and often don't really celebrate the country much, whereas mm. Tiger's films, I feel, really celebrate New Zealand and what's great about it. And even though Pride is the film that I cry out the most, mm. Boy is getting there, and Boy is the fastest I cry at a film. Right. Boy, I cry at the first line immediately. But the fact it opens, and it's it's a close-up of, of Boy. Right. So, like, it's just his is face... Boy, is Boy a boy? Yeah. Okay. His face fills the screen, and he says, Cura, and then I cry immediately. <sighs> because it's such a... The opening is just, like, he's smiling, and he's saying something that I've only heard people say in New Zealand. They probably say it other places. But, like... It's so such a an opening of just them being proud of New Zealand immediately, which especially because there's a bit of a culture in New Zealand from you've got to be humble and not proud of yourself and stuff like that. Right. And so, well, maybe not proud of yourself, but not big-headed and not arrogant. But that opening is just so proud of their country and mm. and a bit there, and it, it just immediately makes me cry straight away. Uh, and uh, I love I love it. And yeah, that that first viewing was just a very special thing. I feel like it's a and it sort of helped you heal in your breakup? It probably helped me heal, yeah, both breakups that I, that I mentioned. So, like, yeah, that first one, definitely, because it was like, uh, I just needed to get away, go somewhere mm. else, and then realise that it's an amazing place full of amazing people, and, like, and just having that experience was great. And then uh, the other relationship where, yeah, she was from New Zealand, because I didn't have any hard feelings towards her, she's brilliant. And then a film like that kind of just reminds me but yeah, she's brilliant, and that and that feels good. When I I was when my first girlfriend I was with for three years, yeah. And uh, when she broke up with me, the day she broke up with me, we had tickets to a preview of Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> and because we'd really liked the trailer and we'd liked yeah, Darren Ross's last film. Of course, yeah. And I she broke she broke up with me, and I was in my room, sort of crying, and I was sad. And then I thought, I'm not going to miss out on this. Like I could stay here and cry all night, but I've yeah. got a ticket to this film. Yeah. And so I went to see a, a preview <laughs> Tell you what, right cheered me up. Yeah, did it? <laughs> but I felt much better. Well, at least that's not me. No, I thought, well, I, I think Reckon for Three's got a happy ending, but... No. That's my theory. No, one of the saddest endings, famously, one of the saddest yeah, endings in all the cinema. Because I feel like at the end of Reckon for Dream, everyone's life's going to get better. Everyone's life's going to get better where it ends. It's like Pride. It can't get any it's like worse. the opposite of Pride. <laughs> Pride ends and you go, oh, fuck, you hear what happened next. Yeah. Regular Dream goes, he's clean now, he's going to be all right, he's going to get out of prison, he's going to be fine. She's, yeah. she's in a mad coma where she's mad and she's happy and she thinks on TV. Uh, he's, he's lost his arm, he's going to be fine and he's going to go and get her and they're going to yeah. be in love and be back together. It's a lovely ending. I don't know how you have got that from that. Speaking of um, sexy films, <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's, uh, what's the, I mean... Yeah, I know you're a very you're a, uh, you're a very sexual animal. Yeah. What's the uh, What's the film you think is the sexiest? What's the film oh. that gave you the most trouble in your pants? Yeah. So it's not the film I think is the sexiest. Now mm-hmm. I don't know what film that would even be. I don't really watch films a lot and think are so sexy. Right. Not since the rescue of Dan Ender. No. Right. But um, the only thing I've watched and I've been like, this is so sexy, was yeah. American Pie because. <laughs> You love pie? Because of how old I was. I was 13. Oh, yeah. Like well, there's a, well, except the, the, the sort of sexy in American Pie is like revenge porn. Assault, isn't it? What happens? They set up cameras and make a... 
Yeah, but film hair. Thirteen, I'm not intellectual enough to know yeah, that. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my god, there's boobs in a film. Yeah. Like that was never that. I've never seen that before in a film. No, and she's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful. No, 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 like that. So there was that. That's the really. There's the hot mum who guy gets to yeah. sleep with. That's really sexy. I was genuinely in that film. Yeah. I was like, I, I would oh, like to have sex. I would like to have sex with everyone right now. This film has made me think sex is the best thing ever. Is that the first time you thought that? 13. Probably. Thirteen. Well, no, I don't know. Like I, I remember. I've spoken about this on other podcasts before, but my 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 awakening was watching a cartoon. Mm. I think it was a Hanna Barbera cartoon about two eggs and a boy egg and a girl egg walking around the kitchen, and the boy egg fancied the girl egg, and they're both quite innocent looking little eggs, and the girl egg falls into a pot of boiling water. Jesus! But then she comes out and she's really sexy, like uh, Sandy D at the end of like uh, a sexy Greece. egg. Yeah, she like was an like egg in a leather jacket. So yeah, suddenly she's like that, and she's, and she's really mean. And I was like, <laughs> I want to bang that egg. <laughs> But like the I mean, egg. Yeah. wanted the mean one. I wanted the mean one, the mean which Sandy explains egg. why I'm 33 and single still. It's because I've always gone for the wrong girls. <laughs> well, story's ended but like, uh, yeah. But like, that was the first time I was like, oh, I think. Uh, well, the thing is, you went from eggs to pie. I mean, there's a clear trajectory. Eggs to pie. You're pies in Yeah, pies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just interested in the ingredients in a pie. Eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clearly, that's the kind of stuff I should be watching. It's Great British Bacon. Great British Bacon was fucking... Don't go anywhere near me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why you've never been invited on this. Oh, well, come on, Paul Hollywood, you lucky son of a gun. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's a good answer. Okay, this one. The question is, what is the film that you most related to? What film have you watched where you've thought, that's me, that? Whether yeah. it's the character or the vibe of the film or... Yes, now... <laughs> You can be as arrogant as you want, or yeah. whatever. What's the I, film I think you I've, think? I think I've maybe got this one wrong. Okay, go on. But it's a film... Maybe it's not that I relate to it. No, no, it relates, relates to how I thought about stuff. So, before the company, I was in a load of bands. Yeah. And the aim was never to be necessarily, like... Seen or heard. Massive or famous, yeah. yeah. It was to do something significant within music, make a difference. And, and always felt like... People would always, like... You're never gonna get anywhere. You get told a lot, especially in Kevin, you're not gonna get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's not gonna happen. And you think, just trying and just doing it is enough. And this is, and that's what, kind of what I tell myself a lot. But it's only me telling myself that. I didn't really have anyone else reinforcing that and going, yeah, just, you know, it's enough that you're doing it. And you yeah. probably, you know, who knows? You might write a song and then no one hears it, but then 10 years' time, someone picks it up and likes it. Yeah, it was never yeah. that, but I was trying to say to myself, that might happen. Yeah, if you're doing something that you really like, other people will find it eventually and yeah. they'll like it. And um, there's a film called Fish Story. It's a lesbian film. No? No, that's Go Fish Story. Uh, but, you know, of course, of course you've heard of that one and not this one. But uh, Fish Story, go on, what is it? So it's a film about, it's about a band yes. who are recording a, it's a single, and they find out while they're recording it it might even be an album. They find out while they're recording it that they're getting dropped from the label and that this is the last album and that they're done. And they've got nothing, this band, besides yeah. this. And, they, and they're splitting up. And uh, they record this final song and he's using lyrics that he's, he got from a book that he read, which is a book that no one's heard of and that, like, you know, never, never did any business. And um, I think there's only, like... I can't remember in the film now, but if there's like even only one copy of it, he's got hold of it. It's like something ridiculous. There's this story behind this book. He meets his and while he's singing it, he makes a speech 
to the record label kind of saying how much he doesn't care about that they're dropping them. And then when the record label released the album, they cut his speech out, but they leave it, there's just silence. So there's a song, and then there's this block of silence, and then the song starts again. And then it's like a little kind of cult album, and people have theories about the silence, and it's like a haunted thing or something like that. And it's all like through different times. So the next kind of time period is someone going home, this kind of quite weedy guy who gets pushed around by a lot of people, driving home on his own, and this song's in the tape deck, and the silence comes on, and during the silence he hears a scream, and he stops and realises there's a woman getting assaulted, mm-hmm. and he goes up to try and help her. I think it just, like, fades out on that, and you don't really see what happens, and then there's another scene that's, like, on a boat, and these terrorists take over the boat. And then one of the passengers is this uh, boy who just is, like, a martial arts master, like an indestructible kid, mm-hmm. just takes them all on on his own, destroys them. And one of the other passengers is this girl who was asleep, and he kind of saves her life, basically. And then she goes to school, does really well, becomes like a genius mathematician. And then there's an asteroid heading for Earth that's going to kill everybody in the future. Is this a Japanese film? Yes. I, heard, I didn't know And then so. she, this is the whole plot of the film, but you have to come yeah, tell I it. I feel like your mum. Okay. Oh, what, yeah. how far is it? Yeah, I feel exactly. This is exactly what I was like as a kid. But then she's basically the mathematician who figures out how to stop the asteroid. So if that band... Because also... also the band that saved the world. Also... The kid who's like the Kung Fu master, the martial arts master, yeah. is the child of the guy and the woman in the, uh, by, wow. by, by the side of the road. So the guy who saves that woman, they go out and then he trains the kid because he doesn't want him to be a wimp like him. Why is it called Fish Story? Is the book is called that? Fish Story okay. that, that he reads and then the song is called Fish Story that they write. So it's kind of about, That's if you do anything creative, it's, ta- it's, it's taking it to the nth degree and going, you could be a little shitty punk band who no one listens to. And you save the world. I think, I like and that you relate to that, but I would say, if you want to be sort of a creative person that no one sees, and then you're discovered many years ago, don't put yourself on Netflix. <laughs> well, my, my attitude changed a bit. Okay. No, 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 it's not, you know, it's still like, it, it's basically the whole thing about, it's just worth it to try, you know. Just doing that. it, it's positive, whatever you're doing, if you're being creative, it's having a positive effect. And, and you saw to, this when you were in your band? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and it, it, it just takes it to its, like... It takes that theory to its most preposterous limits. And it's a bit Tarantino-esque, the mm. film. And um, there's this great uh, montage at the end where they just show everything in order. So they show the guy struggling to get his book made and how it eventually leads to the world being saved. I love um, And it's, uh, it's just quite... It's like that and School of Rock both make me feel like just worth it to try and be creative. That's all it is. It's, it's like, there's enough to just try. School of Rock is one of my top five of all time. One of the best films. So great. Perfect film. So amazing. Yeah. You, what's interesting about Fish Story is actually, it sounds a bit like Final Destination in terms of mm. this leads to this leads to this leads yeah. to this. But it's the opposite leads to saving lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good at the end. Yeah, you're yeah. Like a, you're like a mousetrap. Yeah, and music will save us all. Yeah. So I still believe that. You believe that's it? Yeah. I mean, music, music gets me through... Yeah. Anything. It's great. It's amazing. I, Magical. I believe that. Yeah. A side note then, what's the film with the best soundtrack? You can only have one. I like a lot of films that John Bryan does the music for. Yes. And... Yeah. Uh, Huckabees are my favourite album. Yeah. I, 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 I Huckabees was nearly my film that I loved at the time and yeah. right now. It still is a bit too much of its time and also David Russell has made much better films since. But I Huckabees is a great soundtrack. Um, maybe that would be it or... We can come back to that. What film do you think is objectively... It might not be your favourite film, 
But oh. you are like, technically, that is the greatest film of all time. In the same way, critics usually say Citizen Kane or Vertigo. It might not be your favourite, but you go, oh, yeah, that, fair enough, that's the greatest film I've ever made. Oh, okay. So I interpret this one to be my favourite one. Uh, but... You know, in something like something like Schindler's List. Schindler's List is a great film. Mm. But I don't think you're going to go. Well, let's put Schindler's List on. Sure, it's Friday night. <laughs> What's the like? I think if I was to say who the greatest director of all time was, I'd say Stanley Kubrick. Okay, so what do you think is his greatest film then? I guess I think his greatest film is probably the only one that I didn't like all the way through. Which is what I would say it's a great film, but I'd say it's the one that I would say like if someone's saying, "Will show me the greatest." Time. Yeah, aliens come. You can only turn one for them. Want to know what's the greatest yeah. film? What is this medium of film? Like I might, but I didn't like it. <laughs> That's I, okay. Two thousand and one. Great. Like Great I mean, I'll probably show them that, but I go listen, aliens. Before I watch this, full disclosure, I like the bit with the monkeys at the beginning. Yeah. And I really love the Hal story. Yeah. And everything else, I, I'm going to fast forward it. Okay. And they're, like, going, and they're going, it's weird you're showing us this. Yeah, yeah. Well, what? That's in Keenan, this one. Okay, this is a very long... I wish the film was just the Hound thing. <laughs> and I would like it more, but then, if it was just the Hound thing for the whole film, I might not show it to people as an example of here. It's like, yeah, because the whole thing is like... You still get to the end and go, well, that's impressive. That's yeah. amazing that you did that. It's incredible. Also that you did it before yeah. people went to the moon and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before he was involved. Yeah, before he. On paper, this sounds fun. Yeah. She lives a week in the wrong order. That sounds great. And her husband dies. Yeah. So day one, her husband dies in a um, lorry accident. Mm-hmm. Sounds she, like the street so far. Yeah. And then she wakes up the next morning. Yeah. And it's his life. But it's earlier in the week. And she wakes up again. It's a funeral. She wakes, so she's figuring yeah. out how to save him. And that sounds great. It sounds like Final Destination. It is awful. It's like Final Destination. It's so boringly written. Right. It doesn't work. The ending is ridiculous that she ends up being the one who kills him in the car. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, like... Sounds so good. It's absolutely awful. It's so bad. I would have walked out the cinema, but when I saw it, I, could only, I couldn't really afford to go to the cinema very often, so I was like, well... Take it. Here I am, I've got to watch it. It was absolutely horrendous. Do you ever walk out? Uh, I'm practice, I'll tell this story on podcast. You and I, I, I think one of the significant times where, yeah. I decided, where I made a decision about what I think about art and stuff yes. happened with you because you and I yeah. went on a date to see the to see the film Snowtown. Yes, Snowtown, which is about the true story of a serial killer in Australia, uh, and it is such a depressing, bleak, yeah. horrible film. That although I think technically it's very well made, yeah. I hate that film. I think yeah. it's. I don't know why it exists. I don't know what it's yeah. for. You told me many times. And there was a, <laughs> we were sat there an hour in, and we paid twenty quid a ticket, and it was like a Saturday yeah. night. And 
About an hour into an already horrendously bleak film, one brother wrestles his other brother to the floor and starts yeah. raping him, yeah. and the camera just stays in the corridor just yeah. watching a boy be raped by his brother. Yeah. And I turned to James and I said, that's entertainment. Because <laughs> I thought, what are we doing here? Why are, sure. we, why are, why are we watching this? And, and it made me realise that my big theory, which is that drama without jokes, without humour in it sure. is bad art right. it means you have not looked at life you've not understood life because when you read true stories of the holocaust people in concentration camps they made jokes like that right. people make people yeah. there are moments of humour even in the darkest shit and if yeah. your film doesn't have a fucking joke in it you have <laughs> failed at I wouldn't say doing that li- it's bad art right Look well, at fucking Manchester by the Sea. Tragic, heartbreaking, hilarious. Yeah. Loads of jokes. There's still some jokes in there. I mean, yeah. there's, yeah, you have to dig deep to find them. But like, yeah, there's still some jokes <laughs> in Manchester by the Sea. Anyway, but, but Manchester by the Sea has also, I would say, mm-hmm. it has relatable stuff in it. Snowtown yeah. doesn't have a bit where you go, oh yeah, that's like unless you've been through any of that horrific shit. Yeah, it's not, and even then, if you have, it's not a relatable thing in a good way. You know, like in. In Manchester by the Sea, you can go, okay, yeah, like, even though I've not been through any of this stuff, I can see mm. how, like, as human beings, you know, empathise with, like, oh, imagine that happening to you. I, I, I can see how he feels like that. And her, she, she's in this awful position. And, she, and you really feel for them all. I mean, Snowtown, it's like, this is just horrible. Yeah, it was really it's like, what's horrible the thing after horrible thing. And Can I have to know it? that it really happened. Yeah, and, um, the world is horrible, as you know. Yeah, cares. really awful, really awful. But at least that it got a reaction out of me that I was like, "Oh, that's so horrible!" And it really messed with me. Mm. Premonition was like, "No, I just hate it. It's just rubbish. It's boring. It's badly <laughs> written, badly acted. It's ridiculous." And also, I hate it when people take a what well, is quite a good idea, it's great. You and completely hoof it over the bar and, and ruin it. So, like, yeah. Okay, so to to end on a more positive. I'm sorry for being yeah. briefly negative there. So this is the the final question is not what is the greatest film. What is the film that you? I guess it depends on your definition. I'd say yeah. this is your favourite film. What's the film that you could watch the most forever or have watched the most? And yeah. I'm very happy if I said to you, "Oh, that film's on," you'd be like, "Oh, great, let's watch it again." Sure. Why would you say this is our favourite? This is your favourite film if it's one you could watch over and over. Because I don't think this is my favourite film. It's one of my favourite films. Go on. So, this is Spinal Tap is my answer. Lovely. For the film I could watch over and over again. Great answer. Because I have watched it over and over again, and I know I can do it. It's the film <laughs> I've seen the most out of any film. Right. The last time I saw it was at the cinema, mm-hmm. because there was doing the screening, and it's the only time I've been in a cinema where the laughs were all at the start of each scene. So, literally, the scene would open, and the audience would laugh, because we all knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we weren't necessarily laughing at the jokes, but, like, you know, as soon as... You're laughing at memory. Yeah. Because you go, oh, I can't wait for this. Because it would open, it'd be his hands playing the piano. Mm. And you go, they're going to do Lit My Love Pub. This is so funny. <laughs> it's going to be that scene. And yeah. so, like, every bit of that film, every line is funny. You could just completely get lost in all of it. Like, I, I watched it for the first time, didn't think it was funny. Me and my brother watched it. I was like, why are people talking about that film? And then we started quoting it, even though we didn't like it. <laughs> and we were like... Well, if we're quoting it, maybe we'd watch it again. And we watched it again, it was the best film I'd ever seen. So funny. And yeah. then I had it on video, we taped it off TV. And I just went round all of my friends' houses, like, you've got to watch it. And made all my friends watch it. And did they not like it the first time you made them watch no, it? No, they, they quite them liked it, it, actually. Well, some of them did, some of them didn't. But my friend Jake and my friend... Two of my friends really liked it. Okay. And so they wanted to also 
show it to other people. So it was always watching other people. And then I went to college to do a music course and uh, met my friend Graham there, who I'm still friends with now, who I was in loads of bands with. But his favourite film was also Spinal Tap. So we were quoting it all the time. So all the time, it just kept on... If, if there was a, Where else is it, college? Uh, Northampton. In fact, we did a BTEC course in music practice. It was I'm not, seeing why not so many women broke up with you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, no, no one has broken up with me. That. I don't think I've had a proper girlfriend at that right, point. Yeah. I, I'd never, you know, but like... Too many busy masturbating two eggs. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, if we were ever in a music shop, yeah. we had to go up to the guitars and go, still the old tag on it. <laughs> still the old tag, never even played it. I like having to do stuff like that all the time. Right. And so the one I enjoy watching the most over and over again. So what's your, so you said that isn't your favourite. What's your favourite film? And then I guess we haven't asked that. Yeah. To end with, what is your, your absolute My favourite film is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, that is That's so your film. film. Of course it is. Of course it is. Did you even have to ask? Yeah, well, surely you know that's my favourite film. It's got the John Bryan soundtrack John Bryan does a soundtrack sure. it's about a breakup yeah it's sad but it's positive but it's funny it's funny it's positive it's, it looks beautiful it looks beautiful it's whimsical it's innovative yeah it's also, got a very mismatched couple yeah also what I like about it so I like everyone who's involved in that film yeah and I really like Michelle Gondry and mm. I really like uh, Charlie Kaufman yeah but that film is just the perfect marriage for both of them in that I don't, I don't think either of them have done it. I liked Synecdoche, New York. Loved that film. I really liked it. But I think the things that excite me the most with them, so I, I, I do like films that are really, you know, difficult. Yeah. And that not everyone's going to like and stuff like that. But my favourite films are ones that manage to be innovative and yet accessible. Yeah. And that film is so creative, so inventive and original, and yet relatable, accessible to people. You know, People who like mainstream films can like that film, you know, and, and enjoy it. And I don't think there's anything about it that I don't mm. like. Also, Jim Carrey. Love Jim Carrey. He's amazing. In, I, mean, you know, I, I like him in loads of films, but, like, I'd watched him growing up. You know, my first introduction to him was when I was a kid, mm. and it was all of his, you know, more wacky, like, big, you know, I mean, when he, when he properly blew up with Dumb and Dumb and the Mask and Ace Ventura, and they were all, like, back-to-back. And he was great. Mm-hmm. So I loved him as a kid. Like my one of my favourite actors because I was watching comedy films all the time so then to be an adult or in my 20s and see him in this film that I really relate to but it's this guy who I've grown up with and love anyway and then see him and now he's doing a film I can really relate to on a different level is quite special because definitely when I watched it around that time was the time I used to be watching films like Garden State and stuff like that Mm. and thinking those kind of female characters were the kind of people I wanted to be with and so she kind of fit into that but then you watch it as an adult you go oh she's not that she is yeah. literally him, Charlie Kaufman, saying, those characters are bullshit. Yeah. Because she's literally saying, I'm not, I'm not going to solve anything for you. I'm not, and, and, and all this, and like, going, oh, yeah, she's great. Like, even now, you can watch it and be like... I've realised yeah. it's the only Charlie Kaufman film that's sort of optimistic. It's the most optimistic of his films. I think most of them are pretty... I love them, and I think he's brilliant. Yeah. I think he's... I find, um, what's the one... The first one, being James Malkovich. It's one of the saddest films. Yeah. That's the Matilda of Charlie Kaufman. It's such a dark, sad ending. Yeah. Although, also the ending really makes me laugh when Charlie Sheen goes on his house because they're nicknames for each other. are just hilarious. I don't remember. Malcatraz, and then, and then he goes, Machine. <laughs> Machine is such a deliberately rubbish nickname for him. Like, they deliberately wrote a bad nickname. That's great. 
Yeah, I, I kind of got in. I mean, the first Troy Kaufman film I saw was Adaptation. Yeah, that's... There's a lot of nods to being John Malkovich that you, you think you'd need to watch that film first. <laughs> but I loved it. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And so I wanted to watch everything this guy had done and, and I didn't really know Michelle Gondry very well. But like, going to see Eternal Sunshine and being like, oh, that's... That's your favourite. That's just what I want to... I always want to watch that now. Okay, James. These have all been excellent answers. I just found out that when you... Uh, died in the quicksand. Yeah. You swallowed a lot of it, and it made your your corpse bloat so much that there's only room for one of these films in your coffin. Yeah. So, which of the films that you've discussed are you going to take with you forever? Is the only film you're going to have in heaven? I can watch it. You can watch it, mm. and you can show it to people in heaven. But yeah. you can't take all of it. It's the only. It's going to be the only film in heaven. So, is it going to be Ten of Pentacles, Bottomless Mine, or is it going to be yeah. Spinal Tap? Oh, Final Destination 5, Final, yeah. Final 3D. Oh, man, those are good picks. Yeah. Um, I think it's got to be Eternal Sunshine. I've got to take that with me. I, I, it'd be the one that I'd want to... I've been watching it over and over. It's fun, I'd have to watch it every day and it's fine, but Eternal Sunshine is the one that I'd want to show it to people, have a bit of a break, but then I'd want to really... Yeah, it'd be like, guys, there are other things to do up here than just yeah, watching films. I'd want to watch it again. If and I thought Spinal Tap would just be watching over and over. Yeah. Let's do some gardening. Yeah. And also, I think there's always things... I do always, every time I watch a Tell Sunshine, and spot something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'd be that. It'd have to be that. I feel bad that I haven't. I just want to say, yeah. for the record, my favourite director is Wes Anderson, and now we can move on. <laughs> I feel bad I've chosen none of his films. Oh, but, he's, um, your, he's your favourite director? My favourite director. Has he seen other dogs? Not yet. But, uh, um, wait, what was he like that? Yeah, could feel up like him that much. Oh, I mean, maybe I'm even going off of him, but like, <laughs> I think he's my favourite director. And I, I don't want to speak about films and not mention him at any point. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, I couldn't really, find a, couldn't really find a category that you fit into. With As your coffin is currently being lowered into the ground. You're going, but what about Wes Anderson? Was that just so you know? Even though a lot of people didn't like Dark Unit Limited, I really liked it. See ya. Uh, I could be bothered to watch Adam Dogs, but I'm sure it's great. Yeah, yeah. James. I'm going to let you go to heaven. Thank you, you. You've earned it. And may I say, thank you so much for being the podcast. May I say, uh, as as we end it, that you are the eternal sunshine, <laughs> the spotless mind of people, in that you are whimsical <laughs> and original and inventive and brilliant, but also accessible, and people can get you. And a bit like Jim Carrey. And a bit like Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah. You're not who they say you are. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm not the soul you guys. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Brett. Really enjoyed this. You're a <laughs> lovely boy. Stop banking over eggs. Good day. <laughs> so that was episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'd like to thank Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network for all the help they've put into making this happen. I'd like to thank Buddy Peace for editing and producing it. I'd like to thank Acast for hosting it. I'd like to thank Adam Richardson for the amazing graphics and Lisa Lydon for the amazing photography. You can find her work on Lisa La La on Instagram. Please come back next week for more films to be buried with. And thank you for listening very much. Please subscribe and like and whatever it is you're meant to do with these things. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time. And please be excellent to each other.
Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 